The following audio is the recording of a sermon delivered at St. Rose Community Church. You can visit our website at strosecc.org. All right, well this time, uh, as, I mean, I see it's already happening, but threes and four-year-olds, if you don't know, you're dismissed uh, to your classes with your leaders uh, to go and do your thing during the service. Um, the rest of you, I invite with, you, with me to turn uh, in your Bibles to John, the Gospel of John, John chapter 17. And if you don't have a Bible, that's all right. We've got plenty of copies. Um, just slip up your hand, and one of our members will be glad to give you a Bible. So John chapter 17 will specifically be in verses 1 through 5. John 17, verses 1 through 5. So as we enter into this Advent season, as we enter the Christmas season, as we've already seen, and our ears are tuned in to the incarnation. We watch movies, we read the Bible, the biblical accounts, we read stories, we see displays, we set up nativity scenes, and they're all about Jesus' birth, even if they don't want to fully admit it, the reason for Uh, The celebration is Jesus' birth, where God became man, where Christ, the Son of God, put on flesh. He was born to a virgin. God was born on the floor of a barn, on the floor of a hay-scattered stall. God, the Son, was born, Jesus was born, not of Not a kingly birth, not to a kingly family, but to a young family. And Jesus Christ lived a life. Like sometimes I think we think about Jesus and and don't think about the reality of what he experienced. Like like Jesus went through the awkward middle school years. Uh, Yeah, his parents, yeah, never mind. So Jesus went through the awkward middle school years. Lots of jokes that could be said. We're not going to say them. Uh, So Jesus went through the awkward middle school years. He went through puberty. He went through teenage years. He was a young man who had a job. He he was a carpenter. He had a mom and a dad and, 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 and family members. He had friends. He had students that followed him. Jesus Christ lived a life. He ate. He slept. He laughed. He He waited in line for things. He paid money for things. He was truly man. And yet, he was truly, he is truly God. He did not give up his deity when he put on flesh. The word, as Randy read, the word was made flesh. The true image of God. He became a baby. And that is the wonder of this season. The wonder that has grasped and gripped our hearts for 2,000 years. A song by Sovereign Grace Music, a Christmas them, that Bob Coughlin, who's a, who's a, a songwriter and a pastor, he, he penned these lines, which I think gets the heart, the heart of this kind of crazy paradox. It says this, as he, being Jesus, as he sleeps upon the hay, 
He holds the moon and stars in place. Though born an infant, he remains the sovereign God of endless days. That's amazing. It makes my brain hurt trying to think about. And he lived the life of a man without sinning. He was a toddler who did not laugh in disobedience as he ran away from his mom and dad. He was a preteen who didn't have a too cool for school attitude and disobey his parents. He was a teenager who did not succumb to temptation. He was a young, adu- young adult who never wronged anyone. He lived the life, as we've said like three or four times already, he lived the life we couldn't live, even if we tried. And this was not just so Jesus could be a good role model. It wasn't so he could just be a, a good prophet that we could look to and say, man, that's a good moral dude. Like, I want to follow him. It wasn't just so he could be a good teacher. It wasn't so he could model what love was. No, 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 no. He came for a purpose. He came to die. We've seen that clearly, right, in, in, our, in our journey through the Gospel of Mark, especially as we've looked at the Passion narrative. We've slowed down, and we've seen clearly Jesus making a beeline towards the cross, knowing that this is why he came. And now as we turn to John chapter 17, we embark upon a prayer that Jesus himself prays. The whole chapter, um, excuse me, the whole chapter is one prayer. People, if on your Bible and the little subheading, this is what people call the high priestly prayer. And if you think about where this fits into the Gospel of John, John chapter 18, 19, 20, and 21 is the passion narrative. It talks about the, the betrayal, the arrest, the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus, his appearing to people. So this is the prayer that Jesus prays right before he's crucified. So I want you to consider how amazing it is that we have John 17 that we can study. First of all, we've already said it, but, but, but how amazing is it? How remarkable is it that this is Jesus's own prayer? Like we read the words that Jesus himself prayed, preserved for us for 2,000 years, for us in this moment to look at the words and see this is what Jesus prayed, but it's also remarkable to remember who it is that's doing the praying. It's God the Son praying to God the Father. God praying to God. That makes your head hurt too. And it's remarkable to consider, as we're going to read in a second, that the he prays for many things, but one of the biggest things he prays, I mean, he prays for you in this room. Jesus, 2,000 years ago, he prayed for you and for all those that would come to eternal life. So Jesus is still praying for you now, interceding at the right hand of God the Father, but we can look at specifically the words that Jesus prayed for you. So if there's ever a prayer to study, this is the one. If you've ever thought, man, like, what does Jesus desire for my life? Like, what, is, what, is, what is God's will for my life? What does God want me to do while I'm here? What, is, what does he desire for me? We have the answer in John 17 because Jesus himself prayed these words. So, and, and the title of our sermon series this Advent is Praying with Christ this Christmas because it was Christ who prayed 
we study that. So let us read John 17. We're going to look specifically at verses 1 through 5, but to read the whole prayer in its entirety, 26 verses, and then we'll specifically kind of zone in on verses 1 through 5. So we'll pray this whole prayer, and then we will pray in the room right now. We'll read this whole prayer, then we will pray for understanding. All right, John 17, verse 1. When Jesus spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven, and he said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you, since you have authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Verse 6, I have manifested your name to the people who gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. For I have given them the words that you gave me, and they received them, and have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I am praying for them. And I'm not praying for the world, but for those you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world. And I am coming to you, Holy Father, Keep them in your name, which you have given me. I have, oh, uh, wait, yes, while I was with them, I, oh, wait, oh, I lost my place because I looked, oh, yeah, here we go. Keep them in your name, thank you, which you have, and I, no, no, no. Yes, verse 11, and I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them lost, except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. Now I am coming to you. And these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they may also in truth. I do not ask for these only but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they, may be, that they all may be one, just as you in me and I in you, that they also might be in us, so that the world will believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given them, I have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that 
the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these that and these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known, that the love with which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them. Let's pray. Lord, we just pray in this moment that you would speak through your word. Lord, we we echo the prayer of Jesus that you would sanctify us in your truth because your word is truth. So Lord, I pray that you would open up our ears to hear, to see, to understand, to savor what is your word. And I pray that you would apply these truths to our hearts. And I pray as we leave this, in this moment, and as we leave this place, we would be lifted up by the loving embrace of Jesus. And we would we'd float out of here because of how much we see his love displayed for us. So I pray that you would speak through me, move me quite literally out of the way so that you can shout through your word. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So if you caught on to one word in this passage that's shown through this prayer, the word that I caught on to when I first read it through was glory. Either glory or glorify. In our five verses, John 17, 1 through 5, we see that word glory or the verb like to glorify. We see it five times. Five verses, five times. In particular, we see the glory that's shared between God the Son and God the Father. So this morning, we're going to see three truths about this, about Christ and the glory of God. We're going to see three truths, and then we will see three takeaways after those truths. So truth number one, and this is foundational for us to grasp, because if we don't grasp this, it's hard for us to even kind of try to comprehend the rest of what goes on in this prayer. So truth number one, Christ's purpose has forever been to glorify God. Christ's purpose has forever been to glorify God. Or put another way, God has always been glorifying himself. Christ's purpose has forever been to glorify God. Look, I mean, that reality shines through when we look at verse 5, the end of the prayer. Jesus says this in verse 5, And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that what? I had with you before the world existed. The scriptures tell us, we're going to kind of way through some deep theological stuff. I promise it'll be beautiful. The scriptures are beautiful. The scriptures tell us that God is eternal. He's always been. He has no beginning and no end. Psalm 90 verse 2 says this, Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. That sounds like verse 5, doesn't it? Before the world existed, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Eternity is a hard thing to grasp, admittedly. I remember as a, uh, being like a middle schooler and trying to think about eternity and think about how 
God has existed forever and had no beginning. And I quite literally made my brain hurt. I was like, gosh, that's so, I mean, it's hard to grasp. Even now, if we think about eternity, it is hard to grasp. But an even harder question for us to grasp is, what was God doing before the foundation of the world? Like, have you ever thought about that? Before the world was created, what in the world was God doing? Was he twiddling his thumbs? Was he vegging out? Was he bored? But Jesus alludes to what was going on, doesn't he? In verse 5, he says, glorify me in your presence with what? The glory that I had with you before the world existed. The picture that the scriptures give us and that this verse gives us is that before the world was created, before the mountains were brought forth, God was glorified. There was glory happening. There was honor. There was love. There was glory sharing happening. God has always been glorifying himself. He's always been loving himself, honoring himself. That, I mean, God did not create the world because he, he needed us to fulfill his purpose. He did not create the world because he was, la- he was like 95% complete and he needed the 5% that we could bring to him. God did not create the world because he was bored, but God created the world. Oh, we'll talk about that in a second. <laughs> the Bible teaches that God is triune. That's the only way this makes sense. That means that God has eternally existed as God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. Every week we end our service by the words of Jesus in the Great Commission when he says what? Go therefore and make disciples of all nations and baptizing them in what? The name of the Father, the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. So before the world existed, God existed in three persons and he perfectly dwelled in unity within himself. God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, loving, honoring, glorifying one another, perfectly dwelling with each other, sharing glory with each other. And in order to share the love dwelling in the Godhead before the eternity passed, out of this love, out of wanting to share his glory, God creates the world. Not because he was lacking something, but because he had, he's overflowing in love and glory that he creates the world. And he creates the world out of nothing. He creates plants and animals and the sun. He creates moon and stars, the galaxies, and he creates us. Out of an abundance of glory that was happening in love. And, and, and what do we do? What do, what do humans do? We turn our back. We've turned our back on the eternal, self-glorifying God. Humans, we have turned our back against the God who created us, and we'd rather worship stuff rather than the eternal, self-existent, self-glorifying God who existed before the foundation of the world. We'd rather worship the stuff that he created. So what does God do to reconcile us, the creation, back to the creator. What does God do? He comes. He doesn't leave us on our own, but God comes. He puts on flesh. John, his gospel, Randy read it, John 1. In the beginning was the Word, that being Christ. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. 
He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. This means that Jesus Christ, when he came and put on flesh, he perfectly manifested the glory of God. As we said, Jesus did not become less God when he put on flesh. And I love that John says that Jesus is the word of God. Like, if you need help understanding that, like, if you want to know about someone, what do you do? You listen to their words, right? If I want to know what Cole is passionate about, I sit down and listen to him talk and hear him talk and, and hear his words. In the same way, Jesus Christ reveals who God is. And this word of God, the perfect manifestation of the glory of God, is the one who prays in John 17. Look at verse 1 with me. So God, Christ has forever been glorifying God. Verse 1, when Jesus had spoken these words, he had just taught his disciples in, verse, in, the, in the previous chapter. So when he had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven. And what does he say? Father. Not an impersonal not a proper God, but he says, Father, Dad, <laughs> the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you. Christ's purpose has forever been to glorify God. And that leads us to truth number two that we see in this passage that we just saw in those verses. Number two, Christ's purpose on earth was to glorify God. So if Christ's purpose forever has been to glorify God, when he came to earth, his purpose did not change. Christ's purpose on earth was to glorify God. Did you hear Jesus petitioning for this? The only thing that Jesus asked for in his prayer, look with me at verse 1. He says, he asked for this, glorify your son that the son may glorify you. It's the only, he petitions for that. He asks for that. And then verse 5, and now, Father, glorify me in your own presence. So what are the two things, what are the, what's the one thing that he asks for twice in this passage? Glorify me so that I can glorify you. What does that sound like? Self-glory happening before the foundation of the world, right? But what exactly is Jesus asking for in this moment? Like, we can look at this, and it seems so far, kind of from what we deal with, it's like, what? what is Jesus really praying for? What is he asking for? What does Jesus say in verse 1? He says, Father, the hour has come. Remember where we are in the Gospel of John. Jesus is approaching his crucifixion, isn't he? He's approaching the moment in which he came to live so he could die. And, and, and that's what this, we've seen it in Mark, we've seen it here, that hour is referring to that hour, his suffering for our sins. And, and, at the, and this, this is what he's praying for. The hour has come, glorify me. And why does he pray this? Well, at the crucifixion, at the crucifixion of Christ, we see the glory of God in the clearest way possible, don't we? At the crucifixion of Jesus, Jesus Christ, we see God's glory uniquely put on display. 
Think about what we see at the cross of Christ. Do you see, this is not an exhaustive list by any means. This is just a few that I picked out. At the cross of Christ, you see God's righteousness and justice, don't you? That he cannot just overlook sin, but he is holy and righteous and just. You see God's poured out on sin. You see God's love, his grace, his mercy, that he created a way for people to have eternal life. He didn't have to do that. We see God's power over sin. We see God's power over death. Though Satan thought he had won when Jesus is in the grave, we know he didn't win. We see God's power over sin and death. We see God's sovereignty. Like this was the plan from the for the foundation of the world, that Christ would come, live, and die this way. We see God's sovereignty. We see God's wisdom on display at the cross, don't we? It's a wise plan. And indeed, we see the glory of God in the Trinity at the crucifixion. It was God the Father that ordained it. It was God the Son who accomplished it. And it's God the Spirit who applies its effects to our hearts. God the Father ordained it. God the Son did it. And God the Spirit applies what? No condemnation because of the cross on our hearts. The glory of God is uniquely displayed at the cross. And this is what Jesus prays for. And we know it, it came to pass. God was glorified at the cross of Christ. And the answer to that glory prayer was Jesus' death. It wasn't, okay, I'll glorify you, therefore I'll take you off here, you don't have to do this. No, the answer to the prayer was sacrificial death on the cross. We can never separate the glory of God from the cross of Christ. We can't separate those two. May we never think we move on past the cross of Christ, but we, we grow deeper into appreciation and love for the glory of God because of the cross. And before, I mean, I know when I first read this a few years back, I read this and I said, really, Jesus? Kind of prideful of you to be asking for your glory more than God. doesn't really sit right with me. Before we think that, Christ is God. The Son of God is not less than God the Father. Remember the Trinity, perfect God is one God, one essence existing in three persons. He is not, and in fact, he's not asking for more glory than God the Father. He's just asking for shared glory, asking for what's been going on for forever. And look at verse one with me again. He says, Father, the hour is come. Glorify your Son. And then what does it say? That the Son may glorify you. Verse four, he says, I, Jesus says, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. John 5, 23 says this, whoever does not honor the son does not honor the father who sent him. John 13, 31 to 32 says this, when he had gone out, Jesus said, now the son of man is glorified and God is glorified in him. God is forever self-glorifying. And indeed, the crucifixion is the unique way in which that is seen. But Christ's purpose, his whole way through while his time on earth was to glorify God, and he did that. His incarnation, his birth, he glorified God in that. I mean, once again, Randy read this, John 
1.14 says this, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have what? We have seen His glory. Glory of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Colossians 1 says that He is the image of the invisible God. You want to know what God looks like? Well, you look at the image of Him, and that's Christ the Son. You want to know, uh, Hebrews 1 says that he is the radiance of the glory of God. It's like the picture that it gives is, here's the glory of God, the sun, and then Christ is the beams coming from the sun. How you feel the effects of Christ's glory is by Christ radiating the glory of God. He's, Hebrews 1 says that God, Christ is the exact imprint of God's nature, like, like a seal that a king sets forth. And he stamps it so you can know that's his exact imprint. That is Christ. So you want to know what God is like? You look at the glory of God seen in the face of Jesus Christ. What do we see in Christ? We see love, don't we? We see compassion. We see his hatred of sin. We see his care for those who can't care for themselves. We see his lifting of the lowly his care for the vulnerable. We see miracles, and it's all revealing who God is. John 1, 18, no one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. Christ's purpose on earth was to glorify God, and he glorified God indeed. Truth number two, last truth we see this morning is this. Truth number three, Christ invites us to the same, into the same purpose, to glorify God. Christ invites us into the same God-glorifying purpose. Look with me at verses 2 and 3. Jesus prays this. He says, glorify the Son, and the Son may glorify you. Verse 1, verse 2. He says, since you have given him, being the son, authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Jesus here prays for those who will be given eternal life. And how does he define, how does he define what eternal life is. To know God. He says, this is eternal life, that you know God. Friends, this is how we see, we see the glory of God right now, by knowing God. And God invites us to know him. That's remarkable. Did you notice the language of verse 2? Verse 2 says, since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all, you have given him. God the Father, the picture we see here that Jesus prays for is God the Father like handing over souls to Jesus, saying accomplish their eternal life, and he does it. Brothers and sisters in the room, we have been known by God before the foundations of the world. You have been known by God, and we have been known by God in order to know God. To know God is to know his glory. 
as much as we can in our finite state. And this knowledge of God is, and, and this knowledge of God is knowledge of what he's done for us, isn't it? It's, it's, it's what we've been looking at today. It's knowledge that God is really God and that he came in Jesus Christ to die for our sins and was raised up to eternal life. And we believe in that and, and place our trust in that. First Timothy 2, Paul says this, This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires for all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Paul puts together saved and coming to knowledge of the truth. This is how it's paired. Seeing the glory of God and knowing God. So this is not just... I know when we hear the word knowing, we think, oh gosh, I think I'm in school again. It's all about knowledge, knowledge. And, but this is not just, this is not just intellectual knowledge. Like, although that's important, knowing on an intellectual, like ascending to more deeper theology, that's, that, that is important. We'll talk about that in a second. But this is saving knowledge. This is not, it's not how much, how, how big our brains are that makes us capable to be saved. It's not the, the power of our brains. It's not the knowledge that saves us. No, it's, it, it, is our, it is the one whom we know. It's not the amount of knowledge we have, but it is the one whom we know. And who do we know? The one true God and Jesus Christ whom he sent. And it is through Jesus Christ that we have access to see Savor and know the goodness of God. The more knowledge, I mean, the more knowledge that we have of God, the more worshipful people we should be, shouldn't we? Our deep study of God should not lead us to think, I know better, I know more than you guys. Our deep study of God should lead us to deeper trust, to deeper affecting emotions, to deeper trust and worship in God. Our theology leads us to praise him. And if it doesn't, we need to check ourselves. I want you to consider how amazing that is, that the God of the universe, like, wants to share himself with you. He doesn't harbor himself, but he wants to share his glory with you. He wants you, in this room, he wants you to find joy in knowing him. He's inviting you to a deep relationship with him. The creator of the universe is wanting you to know him. And many of us have, in effect, looked at God as he invites us to know him and said, eh, I'll take the lesser things. Even though we are not worthy to enter into his presence on our own, he has made a way for us in the person and work of Christ. And that is eternal Life. Eternal life is not so much everlasting life as it is personal knowledge of the everlasting one. And that's what heaven will be, won't it be? That's what heaven's going to be like, growing in our knowledge of God. And, and in no way will this be boring. This will not feel like fifth grade history class or, or high school history class. But we will see the glory of God. And that won't be boring. One day we will see fully the glory of God. One day we will see his face, no longer veiled. And we will know fully who it is that had called us 
out of darkness and into his marvelous light. It's going to be an eternity of knowing God. That's what he prays for, and that's what it will be. We will be found. We will be home. We will know when we see his face. And here's the deal. You don't have to wait until eternity to strive to know him more. You don't have to wait. You can do that right now. You in this room have been known by God in order to know God so that you can make him known. So get in on making God known. But first, you have to know the one whom you're trying to make known. It would be a crazy thing for me, to, for us to, to go out and say, get to know this God without striving to know him for ourselves. So get to know him through his word, through his people, through communion with him. Three truths this morning that we've seen in this prayer. Christ's purpose has, been forever, has forever been to glorify God. From the foundation of the world, God has been glorifying himself. Truth number two, Christ on earth, his purpose, which he fulfilled, was to glorify God in his incarnation, in his life, and especially in his death. Truth number three, Christ invites us into the same purpose, to glorify God. And how do we know that? By knowing him. Three takeaways quickly for us this morning. Takeaway number one, implication number one. Humble yourself under the eternal, self-glorifying, worthy God. Humble yourself underneath the eternal, self-glorifying, worthy God. There's, there's two ways in which you might be humbling yourself. You might strive, you might want to humble yourself. Number one, you might have never humbled yourself underneath God. And I would if you have never seen and trusted Jesus as your Savior, the first step is humbling yourself and acknowledging that you're a sinner and that you need to be saved. So if you've never humbled yourself, today would be a great time for you to come to Christ and to humble yourself and receive eternal life. But you might be in this room and guess what? Every day we die to self and we humble. It, it, you might be in this room and you're a Christian. Every day we humble ourselves underneath God. We die to self every day. God is eternal. God is the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, glorifying himself since before the foundation of the world, since before humans, including you, were even formed. And guess what? Well, one night in student ministry, like a year and a half ago, you probably don't remember this, but one night in student ministry last year, we, we had a paper and we had a T-chart. And on one side of the chart, I had them list out everything in the world that's created. And so we talked through what are created things. And, you know, us, different things, different things, my parents, trees, the world, everything that's created. And then on the other side of the chart, I put uncreated. And then I said, what is uncreated? And after, you know, we tested our wits for a little bit, we came to the conclusion that everything is on one side except for one thing. The only uncreated being is God himself. We are the creation, and he is the uncreated creator. He's the one true God. He's the self 
sustaining sustainer. He's a self-existent provider. He's the uncreated creator. He's the uncaused cause. He's God. And guess what? We are not. So humble yourself underneath him, his rule, his power, his authority. May we not be like a Romans 1 person who sees all the glory of God and, and, and thinks and, and turns our back against it. May we humble ourselves. Listen, you are not the king of your own little universe. You're not. And if you think you are, you'll die with your stuff. But God is the eternal king, so submit to him. Takeaway number two, glorify God by getting to know him. Glorify God by getting to know him. Jesus prayed for those who would be granted eternal life. He prayed for those who would see the glory of God, for those who would know the one true God. And, he, and as we said, since you've been known by God to know God, it's been done with a purpose so that you will make God known. So pray for ways you can do this. Pray for ways you can glorify God. And if you don't know where to start, look at the takeaway. We, can, we glorify God by getting to know God him. So the pathway is clear. Um, Yeah, the pathway is clear. Read our Bibles. Study theology in community. Meet with people who, who grow you in your knowledge of God. Seek God's face in prayer. Preach the gospel to yourself until your heart swells up with love for him. Come to church Take advantage of what our church offers. We, we had training tracks every semester, whether it be a missions track, a theology track, a missions track. Next semester, we'll have an apologetics track training you about the knowledge of God, spiritual formation this year. The goal of that is not to create these people who are kind of prideful and think we know everything. The goal of that is to glorify, so that you can glorify God by getting to know him. So take advantage and get to know God now. May we never grow stagnant and familiar with the glories of Calvary. May we never be a people who are stagnant and just kind of, I'm so familiar with God's glory that it doesn't blow me away. May May we come to the realization like Paul at the end of Romans 11, after he's written 11 chapters of beautiful, rich, deep theology, Paul at the end of Romans 11 does not say, I got it going on. I know more than you. What does he say at the end of Romans 11 when he wraps up his statement of theology? He says, oh, the depths and the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments. How inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Who has been his counselor? Who has given him a gift that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever and ever. Takeaway number three. Join a people who have God-glorifying purpose. Join a people who have the same God-glorifying purpose. One of the word pictures that the scriptures give us of the church is that the church is the temple of God the Spirit. The church is the temple of the Holy Spirit. This alludes to the temple in the Old Testament. 
purpose. Second Chronicles 7, don't have to read it through the whole thing, but we see in Second Chronicles 7 that the purpose of the temple was so that God's glory would be shown. God's glory will be seen clearly. And look at Ephesians 2, 18 through 22 with me. He says, Paul says, For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place by God, for God, by the Spirit. What's the implication here? The implication is that the church is how God has sovereignly intended to make his glory known. The church is a group of sinners, it's a group of imperfect people, but it is a people, I mean, it's a group of people, it's a group made up of individual members with unique giftings, but gathered for the same purpose, to glorify God. So if you're someone who, who has eternal life, someone who knows God, who is a Christian, but you've not meaningfully joined yourself to a body of believers, you're missing something. It's beautiful that you trust Christ, but you're missing something really valuable. Join to a people who have the same purpose. Everybody wants community, right? Everybody desires to have a group. Everyone wants to be a part of a story that's beyond themselves. Whether it be a musician that you follow, or a sports team, or a Facebook group you're a part of, or a, a movie series that you love. Everyone wants community. But friends, all of those things are dust and will return to dust. God is inviting you to community and it will last forever. He's inviting you into something far bigger than you could ever dream about yourself, dream for yourself. He's inviting you to know him and to, and to share in the glory between God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. He's inviting you to be a part of that. And that's crazy and beautiful amazing. So join in. Let's pray. Lord, we pray that we would <clears throat> humble ourselves underneath you. Lord, you are the created, you are the creator and you are blessed forever. And Lord, we pray for our hearts that we would humble ourselves underneath you. Lord, we pray that we would get to know you now. I pray that we would not have this attitude that we should push off getting to know you, but I pray that we would see knowing you as how we can glorify you with our lives. Uh, so I pray that you would help us, give us a desire not to prove ourselves, to prove our worth, but to want to know you so we can glorify you. And lastly, Lord, I pray that you would just grant us humility to join a people uh, who have the same purpose. Lord, we thank you for this prayer that we read in John 17, that the glory that existed before the foundation of the world is the glory that we are being invited into. So I pray that we would see that and we'd be blown away by the love that is dis and the glory that is displayed in the person of Jesus Christ. Help us to respond with faith 
and obedience and wonder. And it's in Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen.